a lot of people that we're talking about in terms of audience don't understand that brand isn't what you say it is. It's what your customer says it is. And the, what they say it is, is based on the experiences they have with the brand. This is Brand Story, a podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leaders, marketers, and brand storytellers about their professional journey and the impact they're making on the world around them. Welcome to the Brand Story Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gilman, and my guest today is Carolyn Walker. Carolyn is the CEO and managing partner of Response, an award-winning independent marketing agency that serves clients like Logitech, McAfee, Netgear, Voodoo, Amazon Web Services, and more. She has extensive experience working with companies on brand building and performance marketing and co-created the hugely successful Hackable podcast by McAfee, which is in, the, I think, the top 1% of podcasts ever produced. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the program. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Very excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you, too. I'm so glad our paths crossed and we get to have this conversation. I really think what you all do at Response is pretty impressive. And, you know, you, you do all types of different marketing, but I know you've done a lot of tech and you're wearing a Logitech headset right now, aren't they a client? They are a client. Yes, I'm very happy to say we've had a Logitech as a client for almost 20 years. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's it's kind of beating that norm, right? Or yeah. average that uh, for the brand agency relationships is usually, you know, two and a half, three years or something like that. And we've had them for almost 20. Yeah, that speaks volumes. Um, you know, I think there's something about independent agencies that's very different than the big agencies. And I've had different agency leaders all the way from Kristen Cavallo from Martin to Laura Hivelis from Flight View and well, we're an independent agency too, and our average client life is 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Well, I think it's a much more intimate relationship, right? It is. Yeah. You know, you kind of go through thick and thin. You're in the trenches together. You know, it's a very like one-on-one -on -one relationship with leaders. So I think it's just a different feel, and some companies really respond to that, and that's what they want. Yeah, I'd agree. You know, I worked, I started my career at Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising in Manhattan, and at the time, it was one of the largest agencies in the world, and it was a totally different feel and experience. Of course, I wasn't on the client side at, at that point, but just from being inside the agency, you know, it, it felt um, much different than it does a uh, leading response. Yeah, I bet. It's a, it's a lot less personal. Mm-hmm. Completely, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's an expectation in big agencies, you know, whether it's spoken or unspoken, that clients aren't going to be there for very long. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there is. And, and I, you know, back then anyway, I think one of the big complaints that we would hear is that the client would get pitched a certain group of people. And then the reality of who's working on their business is quite different, you know, and, and in the small agency world, you don't have that. Like we don't have any B or C players on our team. They're all A players, you know, so you kind of what you see is what you get, you know? Yeah, I can relate. I mean, I think that's a huge dissatisfier with large agencies and any other kind of large consultancies is that you talk to the A team, they pitch you, you get excited, and a lot of times you get the B or C team. I've seen clients get frustrated with that over and over and over again. You know, I think your company works with brands and you're, you're really, you know, trying to break the status quo of how marketing is always done but you're certainly very versed in brand management. Is there anything about response that you just really want people to know? Because you guys do some a unique mix of work. Yeah, we do a quite a, a, a different, you know, lots of different things. But I would say, you know, our line is we help ambitious brands punch above their weight. 
And so those are the kinds of brands we're looking to work with, brands who are are not satisfied with status quo, right? So that could be a challenger brand. It could be a brand who's leading the pack. But it's it's those brands who are like, we we know we can do more and be more than we currently are today. We love helping brands like that. We don't like the status quo position. We don't like to be conservative. We want brands that embrace creativity, right, and disruption and all those kinds of things. And so those are the kinds of brands that we're, we're looking to um, to work with. And then the punch above your weight side is really, you know, we don't just suggest to our clients, oh, you know, you should do this because this is what we know. That's not what it's about. It's about looking at, you know, comprehensively what's the problem and what are the all the possible solutions to the problem and coming back with really, you know, great creative ideas that drive the result for them. And so that's enables them to punch above their weight, right? Yeah. And I think great, great independent agencies have the ability to make it difficult on themselves over and over and over again. You're not just finding solutions. You're not pulling stuff off the shelf and doing what you've always done. You're always trying to, you know, quite frankly, punch above your weight. And all independent agencies do that. And that's where I think the real value is. You know, you don't get that institutional mindset. You don't tend to repeat. You tend to do original work. And, you know, there's something that you put on LinkedIn about a stand-up meeting that you had that, you know, it was a, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. But if you want happiness for a year, uh, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone. You know, I love that. I've, I've heard it before, but it was a great reminder. And I kind of feel like that's at the heart of an independent agency. You're not waking up every day thinking about how much money you can make. You're just in the trenches trying to help people succeed. Yeah, 100%. For me, it was never about the money or, you know, oh, I own an agency. I don't even like the title CEO or owner. I don't like it. It's not, it's not who I am and what I'm about. It really is about helping people. And I think it's inherent in, in who we are as, a, as, a, as an agency. Um, the money, I think, comes because you do great work and because at the, at, you know, at your core, you're, you're wanting to help people. And I'll tell you a quick story about that in terms of, you know, not just pulling something off the shelf. Um, you know, McAfee had, had been a client for about uh, 10 years when we came to them with this idea of Hackable. I was just about to ask you about that. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm a little ahead of you. Um, and so, you know, I had become a huge um, consumer of podcasts. This was back in, you know, when 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 Serial came out, right? When everybody else became a consumer of podcasting. I was like, what is this? And why are so many people talking about it? And I started listening to Serial and I, I could not believe how engaged I was and drawn into the content that I was. And I, I went from, I went from, you know, um, serial to this American life to the moth, you know, like I was like, I couldn't get enough. I was ingesting everything and became a huge fan and realized the value of having someone, you know, having a, a content in your ears in such an intimate way in the theater of the mind that it produced for me was just outstanding. And so, um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I was on my way to California to visit our clients out there on a plane. And I read an article about how brands were starting to dip their toes into the podcast waters. And my first meeting as I landed was with McAfee. And I thought, wow, you know, as a marketer of 
security, we had this challenge, which was we knew that the number one thing you can do to defend yourself is to have educate, you know, to be educated about what the threats are, right? And and um, and the the but the problem is that you know there's so much apathy about that about using the software. You know, who cares about it? I set it and forget it. You know, so. There, there's apathy about the the product, and there's also apathy about even hearing about how do I defend myself. Like, you know, it it really is a set it and forget it situation. People don't think about it until what happens, right? They get hacked, or you know, they get their identity stolen. Difficult to sell prevention, isn't it? It really, really is really difficult. And we tried all kinds of things over the years. You know, some with varying degrees of success. And I thought wow, this could be a real opportunity where we can get, if we do it the right way, we can engage people in the conversation around cybersecurity. And so I landed, I didn't even have a slide or anything, I swear, Steve, had this meeting with my client. And at the very, at the very end, I'm like, should I say anything? Should I not? Like, I don't have anything, but I think it's a really good idea. And it's totally on strategy. And I shared the idea with her and she loved it. She was like, this is an amazing idea. I want to pursue it. So, you know, have my trip to California. I'm out there for like a week. I come back to my team and I'm like, you guys are not going to believe what I just did. (laughs) To your point earlier, we had never done it. Now we got to figure it out. Exactly. We had never done anything like this before. You know, I think that goes back to what we were talking about, about the the power of, of independent agencies. You, you know, when you have inspiration and inspiration strikes, you have that direct access to the to the decision makers, and you're able to be at a level with them where there's a trust where you can, you know, communicate inspiration without a polished presentation. You can actually have an exchange of ideas in an honest way, and I think that's the strength of what we do. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's that intimacy of the relationship, right, and knowing someone so well and understanding their business and their problems so well that you can convey it without a slide. Yeah, we've always felt that uh, we sort of live our clients' brands along with them. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, because you wake up every day and you care. Of course, you care about your brand and you care about what's going on with your company. But I don't. I think most days I wake up, I'm thinking about my clients way before I think about me because I just honestly care about them. That's really, that's such an amazing story. So that just blew up too. It really blew up. It really blew up. And I think... You know, there were a few keys to success there. Um, one is that we made the podcast entertaining first. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a sales pitch for McAfee. It was really entertaining content. And the format of the show was we any any hacks that happened in pop culture, like through like, say, you know, Black Mirror or uh, Mr. Robot or even the news, like we took these hacks that people were exposed to in pop culture, we recreated them in the audio format, and then we put them to test, right, with our host, Jeff Siskin, who was the rube in the situation, and White Hat Hackers, and we said, you know, should you really be nervous about this or not? And then at the end, we gave them some tips and tricks. And it was, it, it's just, if you listen to a show or two, you'll know what I mean. It was like, it's like very engaging and very entertaining. So I think that was one. Yeah, they are. As a matter of as a matter of fact, I was I've been a fan of that podcast years ago and still and you know the, it it was a great program and I think it had all the right ingredients that people seem to miss in podcasting. It's about storytelling. It's about engagement. And man, I don't know about you. How many podcasts have you listened to, especially business podcasts where the value proposition just keeps getting stuffed down your throat? 
Oh, it's, it's horrible. Just yeah. below the s- surface of every single thing. And it's like, yeah. even when we started this, I just want to tell people stories and meet cool people that I admire. I'm not trying to sell anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's too much when it's when it's two talking heads that are really just trying to pitch the business. Yeah. It's no one's going to listen. No, it's kind of gross, actually. So congratulations on that. I think that's an amazing, just absolutely amazing uh, accomplishment because you were very early to the game and. And I think it set some really good examples too. I mean, it was yeah, a, definitely, it was a really powerful one out there. You know, at the outset for business podcasting, it was one of the best. Yeah, thank you. Being audience centric, you know, it seems like people talk about it a lot, but it always amazes me how many brands don't do it. It's incredible, right? It's just mind-boggling to me. They people fall in love with their own features and benefits, and just kind of yell them at you and <laughs> it just doesn't work absolutely the wrong thing to do and actually i heard you talk about liquid death and that that is an example of of a brand that really knows their audience right yeah i'm such a fan huge fan too we've been talking about them for <laughs> since they they launched in, internally in our agency because they've done such a great job of branding the re- laser focus they have on their brand is some, something any of us can learn from but you know also other brands can take a take a page out of that book pretty easily. So let's talk about brand building a little bit. And, you know, I've I've seen you talk about and, and seen you write about how, you know, that foundation of knowing who your audience is and really knowing how to speak to them and being focused on that helps set the foundation for brands. And you've helped a lot of brands. Can you talk a little bit about brand building and your point of view on it? Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think thinking about brand first is is huge. And I think even we we get, you know, a lot of clients come to us that maybe don't understand, you know, totally brand or have complete clarity about their brand. And so that's where we come in and help. And, you know, I do think there's many things that are very foundational to building brand. And, um, you know, one is is understanding what brand is and isn't, right? And I think one of the big things that that a lot of people that we're talking about in terms of audience don't understand that brand isn't what you say it is. It's what your customer says it is. And the, what they say it is, is based on the experiences they have with the brand, right? And so you better make sure as the as the company, as the brand, that you are properly thinking about every single touch point that you have and making those experiences what you want them to be from a customer perspective to influence what they think about the brand, right? Because I, ultimately it is, your brand is what they you, they think it is, not what you think it is. And man, when you leave experience, you know, as an afterthought at, or as customer service or, or explaining and making sure everyone in the organization is on the same page about what the brand stands for, it's destined to fail. And it 100%. happens over and over again. You know, I mean, not to bash Best Buy, but it's my favorite example of a disconnect between what someone says and what you experience. You know, like you go you go in and it's just, you get treated terribly because they don't connect the dots. And I think that that frontline experience, you're, you're, I mean, I love hearing that. I think you and I could probably talk about this all day, is that, you know, it is 100% about the experience and the consumers decide who you are and what you mean. You don't get to tell them. Yeah, exactly. And I think what you're talking about in a retail environment, right, where you do have frontline workers who are interacting on a daily, you know, a minute by minute, day by day basis with your customers, 
like I actually we have a blog post about the forgotten ones in with the restaurant industry, but it's the same thing in what you're talking about in Best Buy. Like you cannot forget about those thousands of people who are your employees who are touching your guest, your customer. They need to be advocates and stewards of the brand to give that customer a great experience. And so many brands overlook that. Yeah, especially when they're consumer facing and they, they're actually the touch point, you know, and the way you treat them is 100% how they're going to treat your customers. Absolutely. You Every know, doesn't, I think Maya Angelou says something about that. Like, you know, yeah. you, right? The, the thing that people won't forget is how you treat them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's right. like you can do the best brand campaign. You can know what your why is. You can put out the best marketing. And then if someone interacts with your front line and gets treated badly, that's all they're ever going to remember. And guess what? That's who you are now. It is who you are. And guess what's going to happen now and nowadays, right? They're going to tell everyone else about it too, oh, right? Yeah. The first thing you're going to do is post it to social, send a yeah. group chat or whatever. So yeah, it amazes me the the effort that'll go into talking about a brand talking about itself, and there's an unequal effort or an unequal effort to actually train and take care of and communicate with the frontline employees. So it happens again and again, and it's like, you know, the money and the effort needs to go to both places. You can't, and the, the maddening thing about brand is you can't just do one of them. No, no, absolutely. You have to look at every single, you know, the whole 360 degree view, right? Well, where am I touching all these people? What am I doing? You know, does my website marry up with my in-store experience and my in-store experience is great and my web experience sucks, you know, it's it's a problem. You know, we could just talk about this all day. And so there's something that you talk about and I know you care about that I think is, is so interesting because it gets misinterpreted a lot of times is when people are trying to apply performance marketing measurement to brand and the difference. And I know you all do both. You know, you're talking about brand building. I work in brand building. But you also work in performance marketing. But I feel like on the client side, sometimes as soon as someone gets a little performance marketing success, they think that those metrics are going to apply to brand. Yeah. I mean, the, the metrics clearly don't apply to brand. I think what's happened in the last 10, 15 years, 10 years, I would say, is is that brands have... It's like being on a, have you ever been on a whale watching ship? <laughs> no, but okay, trip. I love this analogy. And it's like you go you go out on the boat and there's a whale on the left and the whole boat goes, scrambles over to the left-hand <laughs> side, the thing tilts over and you're like, Meh. and then, you know, right. there's a whale on the right and you go to the right. And I feel like digital marketing has done that to the world of marketers and brands is that it's the, it was the the, the thing that everyone leaned into. And not to say that that's wrong, you know, I do think that digital marketing, you know, plays a huge role in building brand, but it was like the shiny object that became the thing that everyone invested in because of the the availability of metrics, right? And the ease of getting the metrics and last, you know, last click attribution and all of that. And so, you know, it felt more proven that you can invest in an SEM campaign and you see that, you know, you get so many clicks and you get so many purchases and okay, it, we don't need to do anything else. All we have to do is put all of our budget into digital and performance and we're done, right? Like we'll grow the business. Well, what's happened 15, you know, 10, 15 years later is that they're seeing that, you know, the, the research shows that if you're only or mostly focused on performance marketing, you're eroding the brand because you're not building brand and your base sales are going away, essentially. 
And so it's a big problem and it's a big conversation that is happening now. And I think that, you know, listen, I don't think that there's, it's not a contest between brand and performance. And I'm not saying that brand building can't drive performance. I'm not saying performance has no impact on brand at all. I think that, you know, brand does, it really, really good brand marketing does drive performance. <laughs> and I think that you you need to think about how you use performance that to align to brand, right? Instead of eroding it. And so right now, I think, you know, the big issue is that there's a there's an imbalance in budget between brand and performance, and it's way too tilted towards performance. And I think we're starting to see it come back. And I think at some point, you know, it will come back where performance is maybe where it should be. I mean, Les Benet and Peter Fields, you know, based on all of their research, say that performance should be about 26% of your budget and the yeah. rest in brand in the B2C That's world. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the B2B yeah. world, it is a little more equal. You know, it's a little more yeah. 50-50. But the fact of the matter is that in all the brands that I'm working on or a lot of the brands that I'm working on, that's not the case. And so it's a challenge to convince the to convince the CFOs of the world, right, that the right thing to do is is invest in brand. Yeah, because the data, it's almost like an, it's a little bit like instant gratification. You can see, you know, they love the, the data, oh, someone purchased. But, you know, it's a short-term game sometimes. It is a short-term game. And to, and to prove the brand side, it takes time. You know, it's, it's six months or more of investing in brand before you can actually see the results because the tracking isn't, it isn't instantaneous like that, nor does, does behavior change that fast. And also, you know, brand building really is about talking to the audience that's not in market today. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's about creating those relationships. Mm-hmm. It's exactly right. It's about education and awareness and love, building the love so that when they are in market, you get them. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, man, I we need to do an episode about just this because this is something we talk a lot about. And, you know, the clients that, that we have that do have it more in balance are, are more sustainable and more successful over time. A hundred percent. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. No, I'm not either. And it's amazing to see, you know, the, the, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with performance marketing. It is a powerful tool, but it is just a tool. It's not the ultimate answer, you know? And then what happens is it gets talked about like, or at least it used to, not as much now because I do think it's turning. It got talked about like it was the end all and be all and it would just kill everything else. Well, yeah, if you're selling a widget online and you, you know I mean? It's an interchangeable widget. At that moment, yes, that was exactly the thing to do. But in the long term for any kind of consumer brand in the world we live in today, you know, the perception and the relationship, it's so emotional the way people buy. And there's nothing emotional about performance marketing. Yeah, no, there isn't. It's about, you know, it's about what you're doing. Like, you know, Simon Sinek talks about it, right? It's like the how, the why, and the what. And it's about the, you just, you focus on the what and who. Okay, that might work, you know, like just to get them to convert that to one time they're in market. But after that, you're in a trouble, you know? Yeah, it doesn't create loyalty. It doesn't get them to come back. They're just going to click on something else the next time. One thing I will say, Steve, about building brand and going back to liquid death <laughs> mm-hmm. because they've done such a you know it's a commodity water is a commodity yeah. like, let's face yeah, it right they've done a br- it's brilliant brilliant job and you know the, the when you do branding right 
your worth, your brand is worth something and it drives your enterprise value up, right? And so I just read that Liquid Death is valuation valued at $700 million. Their sales are $150 million. So I would argue that a huge chunk of that difference between 150 and $700 million is their brand value. And that should perk up the ears of every CFO on the planet. Yeah. I mean, that is where the value is. And the big, you know, the truly successful brands understand that, you know, when you you get to a certain level sometimes, uh, whether it's CFOs or, or CEOs, they really start to understand the power of brand. And the, the, the companies we all hold up and use as an example are usually the ones that are getting it. The mints of the world, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the apples, deaths, the Nikes, right? Apples, the FedEx the Nikes. Of the, yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, get it. boy, does Nike get that. So, yeah, I think that's a that's why I love the liquid death example and I love I just love how laser focused they are on their audience and how, you know, their philosophy of like if it's a bad idea, let's go do it, you know, for creative. That's just so much fun and it fits them so perfectly. And I like that it's unique to them. It's not, you know, not just anyone could do it with any brand. You know, you have to figure out what's unique to you. You can't just do what the other guy's doing. Exactly. Yeah. They, they become very differentiated by their unique ideas, you know, and how they market themselves. Like <laughs> their differentiation really is marketing. That is 100% what it is. And I think that's so cool. So let me ask you a question, a couple of questions about you, you know, because you're an accidental entrepreneur, you got into this, you're very successful. You know, you guys have tons of accolades and awards and I love your work. What's a surprising thing that you've learned about leadership? Something that you really didn't expect because you didn't, I don't think you jumped into this to be a CEO. I, I didn't. And, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, leadership is is so many things. And I didn't, I like I said, I didn't <laughs> set out to be an agency owner. But I think leadership is really, um, for me, about uh, a lot of it is about listening and and learning and and knowing that I I don't know it all you know I I don't I um I'm constantly trying to educate myself about what it is to be a good leader um and you know I've learned so so much about um you know having empathy and it's to the, the people who work for me and understanding the people that work for us and um you know we recently um became workplace uh uh we went through a workplace enlightenment certification through the four a's and that was completely eye-opening you know made me think about things that i would never have thought about before or you know do you don't think that you have bias but in reality you really do you know and so it's just being aware of that stuff um and so you know i i think that um you know we've had a really amazing um experience with our team and we have a lot of team members who are have stayed with us for a really long time and i've been told that people don't quit jobs they quit managers and so you know having people who stay with us this long makes me feel like we are doing something right as an organization and the culture and by the way my business partner david kleinberg has really been influential on the culture of our organization and I just feel like as a leader, being like open to that, the ideas and stuff that have been brought forth to create that and to allow that to happen was a big lesson for me. Yeah. And, you know, I like what you called out about empathy and listening, because, you know, there's sort of the old model that people thought and got taught by bad example. You know, maybe you had a leader that acted like a boss, quote unquote, 
you know, that sort of like authority trip thing that leaders get on thinking they should have all the answers. And, you know, I think it's just a very human endeavor. I think the better you can listen to people, the better you can have a sense of what people are going through and be there for them when they need you. That You know, it's not a transaction. You don't, you don't use people as a business. You're there to support them in their lives. And if you can do that honestly, your brand's going to be more successful. You know, it's just, it's a little like what we talked about about frontline people, but I think it goes even beyond that when you're an organization that's built to help others. So like, you know, an independent agency, we're here for our clients. We're going to get in the trenches and try to figure something out for them. Sometimes it's urgent. Well, if we're not taking care of ourselves and each other, we're not going to be very good at that, are we? Yeah, exactly. that's exactly right. I mean, you know, I think you, you said it really nicely. We're, we are in this together. You know, we, we rely on each other. You know, we trust each other. We treat each other with respect. Like those are all the things that you need in order to service, be in a service business, number one, and give a good product to your client, number two. What event in your career has shaped you the most as a person, uh, you know, and or as a professional? What do you think really got you to who you are today? Well, hmm, that's a good question. I think what shaped me as a professional probably goes back to my Northeastern days and having those amazing experiences with the brands that I work with back in college. Like I can honestly say I would not be where I am with without that, both that education and the experiences that I got with them. They really set me on my path. Um, so, and, you know, incredibly um, grateful for that and, and incredibly grateful to my parents for paying for me to go to Northeastern and get the education and experience that I that I got. Um, and then I think shaping me as a person, I think nothing can compare to the experience that I got at or I'm getting at response. Like I, I, I have changed so much um, by being part of part of response um, in the things that you're talking about, like I'm way more empathetic than I've ever been in my whole entire life. I'm way more collaborative than I've ever been in my whole entire life. Um, I'm living in way more joy than I've ever had in my whole entire life. So, you know, I, I just couldn't trade that for anything. And maybe that part of that is just getting older too. I don't know, but it, I think it's getting older in the right environment maybe. Yeah. I think that's great to hear. I mean, I always love when I talk to people who are in the right place. And, you know, having a great experience in their careers. And it is very personal. You know, our work and our life are inexorably linked. So where you are and the people you're with and how you experience that every day has a huge impact on, you know, how you develop as a human being and your daily experience and what you can bring to others. So what would you name, you know, you're doing some really cool things. I know you're, you're out there on podcasts and I'm so happy you joined me today. I'm having a blast talking with you. And what would you name this chapter of your life right now? So it's a good question. Um, I would call it the sponge, <laughs> and, and meaning awesome. that I continue to learn so much. I was just in Arizona with the Jade Forum, and you know we're talking about agency growth and positioning and M and A and talent issues and all this. Like I'm a sponge. I'm learning everything I can from them. I'm learning so much about entrepreneurship. I continue to learn more about branding, you know, like I am just soaking it in and applying it to the clients that I work with. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm, I've learned so much about DEI, not only for ourselves, but we actually helped um, Carrier launch a DEI brand uh, internally. Um, you know, brand valuation, just all these things are, um, I, I'm just 
soaking it in, you know, and, and learning as much as I can and applying as much of it as I can. So I would call call this chapter of my, my life the sponge. I love that. That is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and the movement for DE&I and the people starting to truly respond to that and stand up programs in corporations is, I mean, we need that. Let me ask you uh, uh, one final question. I mean, we could talk all afternoon, but I know you probably have a few things to do. Um, if you could give your younger self any advice, what would it be? I would say, you know, I, I would, to my younger self, I would say, I really appreciate the experiences that you're getting. Like I completely undervalued the experiences that I got at Saatchi and Saatchi, and I undervalued the experiences that I was getting at Dart. And I just didn't know. I was so young. You know, I didn't realize how much I was being exposed to and how much they taught me. And, you know, I'm certainly very, very thankful for all of that because, again, I was able to apply all of that to going forward to these smaller companies and businesses. Um but I, I just feel like I didn't, I didn't really know exactly, you know, how fortunate I was at the moment. And I think related to that is that every decision matters. Like, you know, you can make a decision to go to a company and move to another, you know, state that and it changes your life. You know, it literally that will can literally change your course of the whole your whole life. And it certainly did for me. And so, you know, every, I would say every decision matters. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end because I love that sentiment and I love it as it applies to us as people and it applies to brands. You know, every decision matters and every touch point matters. You know, it's like, I always loved the saying, you can do whatever you want, but everything matters, you know, for brands. Like you can act however you want. Sure. Go ahead. But every single thing you do is going to matter. That's exactly right. Yeah, you've got to think about all of it and make sure you're doing the right thing every step yeah. of the way. For, for sure. you and for your customers and yes. your clients. So thank you so much for your time today. This was so wonderful. I had a great time talking to you. Likewise, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was really fun. Want to hear more inspiring stories? Subscribe on your preferred podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, and share. It's the best way to support us. Thank you for listening to Brand Story. Brand Story.